So um, we had a prompt this week while we were at Montreat from Siobhan to think about. And so our kids on Thursday morning during a time of Sabbath uh, took some time to think about this prompt and to write about it. The prompt uh, related to an energizer that we do. Energizers are fun dance songs. Uh, one of them is called, Do You Want a Revolution? And so the question was, if there was a revolution in the world and we actually let love lead, what would the world look like? And so we, ha we are asking a few of our students to read their responses to that wonderful question, and we're going to hear from them today. So uh, students, first student who is going to speak, come on up. Christy, thank you. If there were a revolution and we let love lead, there would be more peace. Every human would find a way to accept others. Yeah, we might not agree, but we will accept each other. We would focus on a religion rather than politics, the sports games, what celebrities are doing, or even what's trending on Twitter. When we let our love lead to God, we will focus on the bond with God and truly focus and believe our religion. By letting love lead, we can end hate crimes, bullying, and racial and gender problems. With God's love leading, we can help end poverty, help end gender inequality, abuse, and violence overall. By letting love lead, for me, I am closer to God. I focus on my faith rather than social media. I talk to God rather than text all my friends. I ask God for guidance rather than asking Google. I feel this peace that I never thought was possible. I know my life is in good hands, even though it may be falling apart in all aspects. I know that my love in God will never disappear. I'm Madison, and if everyone let love lead, I'm sure the world will be a totally different place. People will have love for the universe, people will stop littering because they know it could hurt the animals, and most species wouldn't be going extinct like they are now. If everyone let love lead, bullies and people who judge others would be no more, which will give people who are scared to be judged the courage to be their real self and not just try to disappear. People would appreciate differences. If people just let love lead, there would be no more mass shootings or attacks on cities. If love led, people could practice their religion without the fear of being judged or looked at as a stereotype. If people just let love lead, most of us wouldn't have to wait for Montreat to be our true selves. In a world where suddenly everyone let love lead, there would be a lot of jobs rendered obsolete or completely changed because of this new philosophy. Think of everything we need to protect ourselves. An end to violence would mean a complete restructuring of our criminal justice system. I love the idea of a world where everyone and everything was led by love because it would mean we don't need to protect ourselves from each other anymore. Although letting love lead does not mean we are all suddenly perfect, and we can still make mistakes when we let love lead. But it would make it easier for us to empathize with one another if we opened our hearts to everyone and made sure no one felt alone. The more I think about this ideal world, the more I want it to be real. Letting love lead is beyond human nature. 
It is something we must work for, come together for, and consider at all times. A revolution of love would strip the power from the leaders of corruption, ushering in compromise and agreements between nations and people alike. The boundaries set up by ages of pettiness, feelings of superiority, and separation would be torn down and replaced with open arms. Peace among races, social classes, nations of the world, family members, and in the relationship between us and our environment could be achieved and sustained should a revolution of love be made. A revolution of love means a revolution of acceptance, of forgiveness, of peace, of trust, and of goodwill. It is up to the people of the world, everywhere, to decide whether the path of selfish, corrupt actions will continue, or whether love and caring will lead towards an equal and peaceful society. Only we can begin this revolution. There is no use waiting for another to tell us it is time. To let love lead is to acknowledge the many problems in this world, and with a revolution of love, peace and love will take us a step through the door of salvation. If there was a revolution in which we let love lead, I think the world would be heaven on earth. The sky will be blue, the atmosphere clear of all pollutants, the ozone layer restored whole. And the people will be different too. We'll be caring, we'll be understanding and satisfied, we'll be at peace and happy, we'll be there for one another. No more wars, no more murders, we won't hurt each other. We'll be curious together, we'll be broken together. We'll be whole together. We will not be in unison. That is impossible. We will be in harmony. We won't always agree. We may get mad, but we will always listen, forgive, and love. We, including all beings and Earth herself, will be happy. that the greatest way you can have success in life is to be kind and to let love lead. It sounds almost impossible, does it not? You see, though, in life there's hate, or as I like to say, an absence of love, and then there's love. You can choose to love, or you can choose to not love. It's truly up to you. And in my choice, if I remember only one thing, it's that hatred begets hatred, and love begets love. Even if that love isn't shown directly back to you, It'll be out in the world. It will make a change. If every person made just one change to themselves in order to let love lead, we would be just one step closer to an ideal universe. The big picture is daunting, yes, but just look at yourself as an individual and it seems so much smaller and so much doable. Love even just once and you're already making the world a better place. To let love lead, even if you can't 24-7, as long as you're trying to let love lead, is to succeed. Oftentimes I ponder the true meaning of love. I always thought it was a word to show that you care for someone and hold them close to your heart. But while I still hold that sentiment true, after Montreat this year, I've come to realize that love is so much more than that. Love is seen through actions, words, and feelings. Love's d- love, doesn't just, love doesn't have to just be given to those close to you. In fact, it should be given to everyone, even those who you, even those who you don't like or don't know. Perhaps the most, 
Perhaps the most important aspect of love and most difficult is self-love. You are your toughest critic. When you don't love yourself, it is difficult to spread love completely. God's love is within everyone, and everyone has a reason to be here. So in response to the prompt, if one day a revolution occurred and everyone let love lead, I truly believe the world would be a better place. People wouldn't be judged based on looks or skin tones. They would find love within each other and love unconditionally. You wouldn't wake up and pick out everything you didn't like about yourself or overthink every little mistake you made. You would wake up and love what you see and act upon the love you are given by God. Love is universal, no matter language, religion, or ethnicity. We all laugh the same, we all smile the same, we all cry the same, and we all love the same way. Go out and use that love. You are loved. Know that. In a spirit of prayer, we continue. God of generous grace, God of wonder and wonderful ways, God of hope, wholeness, and the holy, be with us as we come before your word, as we have heard the prophets and amongst us speak. Quicken our hearts and our heads that we may be fertile soil for the transformation and renewal, that we may let love lead. In the name above all names, our rock and our redeemer, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, y'all cannot leave me hanging. Do you want a revolution? Do you want a revolution? All right, all right, all right. Greetings, Knox Presbyterian Church. It is a blessing to be with you. I want to thank you for being able to be in Welka and worship today. Um, special thanks to my dear friend and colleague, Adam. In the past couple years, I've had an opportunity to celebrate alongside you, even though you didn't know it, more and alongside you, as Adam and I share that we are in leadership together through Next Church, the movement. I've heard exciting things about the conversations and ministries that you are beginning, particularly in your Christian identity. I have held in my heart your hopes and your dreams as you have heard of your, as I've heard of your wisdom. And today and this morning, uh, we have heard wisdom being shared by your young people. Amen? We are ready for this revolution in which love leads. Amen? I could use your help, though, in general. I've heard of your wisdom, and I believe it is true, but I need your help to help me finish some statements. Are you guys with me? Yes. yes. Okay. Here are some commonly heard words of wisdom. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him... Drink. Well done, well done. All that glitter isn't... Uh-huh. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Mm-hmm. I knew you all were wise. I'd heard about it. It's true. Oh, there is wisdom in this room. And now as we focus on scripture that offers us this image of wisdom of above, I'd like to offer to you one of my favorite words of wisdom in these days. I heard it yesterday. I expect to hear it a couple times later on today. Oftentimes, I hear it in a tone that is practiced and perfected, sometimes surprisingly monotone, sometimes with a joke thrown in, muffled, 
I hear these words of wisdom that have been shared with the generations, and I wonder if you've heard them too. They go a bit like this, these words of regulation and warning. They are prophetic, they come from on high, usually out of a speaker, and they go from the Apostle of Southwest, chapter 7, verse 37. Ladies and gentlemen, in the event of a sudden change of cabin pressure, please place the mask on yourself before you help those you are journeying alongside. Anybody else heard this before? (laughs) These, my siblings in Christ, are some of my favorite words of wisdom for these days. As someone who genuinely loves people, I have translated those words into several different cabins along my life. Oops. Cabins. You know, those places where you find yourself strangely, sometimes awkwardly, close in proximity to each other. You all have been close in proximity to each other for the past week. You know what that's like, amen? These cabins are sometimes filled with people and community that we know well, friends and family or friends who have become family. We have the cabin that might be our marriage, the cabin that might be our PTA group, the cabin of coworkers, the cabin of classmates, the cabin of long-awaited family reunions that are happening later on in the summer, cabins in which we are personally drawn together. And of course, there's also those cabins, literally like the one on my flight on Southwest into CVG, that you have literally no idea how or why you are in that place with each other, amen? You have no idea who these people are. But for a season, particularly if you volunteer to be in the emergency exit row, you recognize these are your people. And that if things go sideways, you are in this together. And of course, there is the cabin that is the church, which I believe is a mysterious and miraculous combination of the both previously described cabins. Sometimes you wonder, really? How do we end up together? And sometimes you know you are exactly the people that God has called me to walk alongside. I've noticed and learned in times in which the cabin pressure is changing. You know, those seasons which there are stressors that multiply where it can feel like it is hard to breathe. Amen? Well, those are the times when we must be wise. We must remember to put on our breathing masks from above. Breathe in that pneuma spirit of the Holy Spirit, that life-giving, rushing wind of the Ruach, the one who is present in the beginning and the end. We must breathe in before we reach out to help the other. This means that we indeed love our neighbor as ourselves instead of loving our neighbors instead of ourselves. It is being in touch with the source of life not as an excuse to avoid compassion, but breathing in that Holy Spirit, meditating on the divine, reading the word of God, praising God in breath and dance and singing and silence, the source of all wisdom, in order to better be able to assist and care for and journey alongside those you are called to be with. So there it is. Along with these amazing words from your youth, I could gladly sit down, but I came a long way. (laughs) 
Rhode Island is a good distance. That was my hope, at least, just to offer a glimmer, a, a bit of wisdom that I've been chewing on in these days. But through the lens of this scripture, I offer a little bit more. Wisdom has indeed, particularly in this season, been deep on my heart and my mind how to be wise as citizens in the whole of the world, a part of God's wide and deep creation, how to be wise nationally as we want to move through a world and make that shift from a punitive justice system to one that is redemptive and restorative, how to be wise and hold the dignity of all people, how to be wise locally in our community so that we're best able to use our gifts to be up to what God is calling into the world, the revolution that is led with love. I was recently leading a conference at Mo Ranch with one of my favorite professors, Christine Roy Yoder. In her scholarship, she focuses particularly in the wisdom literature of the Old Testament. There is a Hebrew tradition in which wisdom is personified as a, as a woman. Like in Proverbs 9, where it says, Wisdom has built her house. She has set up seven pillars. She prepared the meat and mixed her wine. She has set the table. She has sent out for her servants. She calls out from the highest point of the city, and she says, Let anyone who is childish come into my house. She speaks to those who have no sense. Wisdom speaks to each of us, for indeed there are ways in which each of us is lacking sense. Amen? I love that the Hebrew culture, the word for wisdom, chokmah, well, it's something, someone who invites us into this abundant hospitality of preparing and providing for us the nutrition that we need for our minds, bodies, and spirits, ample nutrition and deep delight for the journey ahead. In our New Testament Greek tradition in which our James text was written, wisdom is called Sophia. I'm intrigued by Sophia. I'm blessed to have two young ladies in my congregation named after Sophia. One is Sophia and one is Sophie. They are both second and third generation immigrant families, one from Korea and one from Ghana. And I promise you, every time I have slowed down to talk to Sophie and Sophia, I have walked away a little bit wiser every time. My invitation to all of us is to slow down to the wisdom that is so clearly abundant. You all had me in tears with your vision as to what is possible if love led a revolution in this world. Wisdom. Well, wisdom will help us, I believe, in that journey. Sophia. This Greek word shows up in the New Testament about 60 times, and a good concentration of it is in the book of James. Now, the book of James was written by James, or at least in the name of, at the very minimum, James, the brother of Jesus, the son of Mary. Now, the book of James is complex in its relationship with the larger canon, the scriptures that make up our Bible. Unlike most of the Bible, we... Um, 
Well, we have, there's many Bible passages in which there was kind of a fight as to whether or not it should be in or out. There's differences within cultures. But this scripture, well, unlike Surak and the wisdom of Solomon, both the scriptures that I think you should take some time to slow down to, James has universally been included in all of the different versions of the Bible. So in the Western tradition, that's the one that we've inherited, as well as in the Syrian tradition of Christianity, as well as in the Eastern Orthodox um, Alexandrian tradition. This book of James has made it into each of those canons. And yet, Martin Luther rejected it. The book of James is one of those gems often known for things like faith without works is dead and in the passage right before talks about the power of tongue, that life and death live in the power of the tongue. And for Luther, well, that kind of language, well, it cut a little bit too close to what he was pushing up to in his day and time. Luther was afraid that James's language could be used to perpetuate works righteousness type of mentality in which your work and the choices you make and in those days how much money you had and continues somewhat in ours is a sign of your faithfulness. Luther said, no, 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 no. While Luther was pushing against this pre-Reformation context, these indulgences that were being sold by the church, therefore holding those who were affluent to a different standard of rules than those who didn't have access to money. He knew that this was broken and evil and sinful, and so he wanted to remove the whole book from the Bible. It was a real reflection of his day and time. Yet as people in our tradition that names that God's wisdom allows us to be reformed and continue to be reformed, amen? It is my prayer that we are able in this moment to recapture a bit of what Luther was afraid of. James' words talk particularly about fruitfulness. James lays out in this passage, Can a fig tree, my brothers or sisters, yield olives or a grapevine figs? No more can salt water yield fresh water. I imagine James in that passage sounding a little bit like my high school teacher, Miss Ann Murphy. Anybody ever had that teacher that loved you enough to be a pain in your tuchus? That was, that was Miss Murphy. And one of the tools she gave us was a dichotomous key. Anybody here remember the dichotomous key? Yeah, thank you. So in the dichotomous key, give it up for the teacher that helped you remember. So in the dichotomous key, you make certain, it's a chart, right? And you make distinctions in order to figure out what a species is. So what kind of plant this is? Does it have three leaves? Does it have two leaves? If that, go this way or that way. So basically, you can work your way down into finding the right kind of fruit and specify what it is. I see James kind of offering that same work to us. Otherwise, we run into a problem. If you treat all small fruit the same, you're going to have some really messed up wine if you use olives. Amen? <laughs> you're going to have a really weird tapenade if you only use figs. Like, it's just not going to work. In some ways, small fruits are small fruits. But in some ways, paying attention to the fruitfulness, how things actually operate makes sense. 
a difference. And I believe that's the key understanding to what comes next. Sometimes people can depict James as feeling judgmental, but I think he's just offering us language to understand, for indeed, there are times when having a yes or a no be a yes or a no makes a difference between life and death. Amen? James, in his offering of what is a fruitful way of looking at what is the outcome of our mind, body, and spirit, he points to a way of seeing that our actions are just that. They are an offshoot, a sign of what we truly believe in the world. He doesn't offer this with a desire of judgment to outcast the other, but in a space of accountability and love for each other, for indeed, compassion and empathy, instead of connection and codependency, only happens if we're really honest with each other. This is actually love. In a world where accountability can be said a taboo word or make people, there's a gift in holding each other accountable, amen? It means that you are willing to both be seen and see someone truly. The scripture says, who is wise and understanding among you? Show it by your good life that your works are done with gentleness born of wisdom. Gentleness born of wisdom. That's peacefulness. That's kindness. That's the compassion you guys were talking about. That's tenderness. Amen? Latinx writer Sherry Moranga writes it this way, remember you live in community, therefore you have a responsibility to be accountable to your family and to your community as well as yourself. Last year at Montreat I introduced a term called Ubuntu. Can you guys say that, Ubuntu? It is a Zimbabwean, South African Swahili term which means I am because we are, we are because I am. It means that I can't lie to myself and say that what happens to you doesn't affect me. And if we are wise, we won't do it in reverse. The scripture continues, but the wisdom from above is pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits without a trace of partiality or hypocrisy. It means that I won't make up rules for me and make them different for you. It means I will be fair. Dr. Margaret Amer, New Testament professor from Austin Seminary, reflecting on this passage, talks about gentleness as a sign of God's faithfulness, peace as a sign of God's life. She writes, in short, according to James, godly people make peace. We hear these words in Jesus' teaching that those who make peace are called peacemakers are the children of God. Or even as God in Isaiah 45, or as Christ in Ephesians 2, make peace. In Proverbs, this fruit of justice and righteousness grows out of the tree of life. Thus, godly people who are led by heavenly wisdom from above restore the very heart of creation itself. As a young woman said, this means all of creation is affected. By gentleness, wisdom, peacefulness, all born from above. Friends, in these day and time, I think we need more wisdom. 
We must look for it. Search her out wherever you may find her. Search her. But know, as James warns, that wisdom, even wisdom, well, he continues, but if this tool that is wisdom, well, it can be used for gentleness or opposite, but if you have bitter envy, selfish ambition in your heart, do not be boastful and false in the truth. Such wisdom does not come from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and devilish. For where there is envy and selfish ambition, there is also disorder and wickedness in every kind. Wisdom from above, well, it is seated in the heart and it produces love. But wisdom, even wisdom, I believe, of Holy Scripture, where when cleverly and learnedly are used to promote fear and hate, envy and ambition, well, family, some really, really, really hurtful things can come forth. Anybody ever have that moment in which you see someone and they are doing something and you're like, oh my gosh, you guys are going to fill in the blank for me again. Oh my gosh, you know, she was so modest and all of a sudden she's finding herself in a place of, of um, power. You know, she better not get too big for her bridges. Or you see somebody and you tell all of their business because you're in that gossipy mood. Anybody ever had a gossipy mood? I know you have. You don't have to say and you see all the business, and you end it up for yourself. And I know I'm a southerner, and I'm in Ohio, so I'll take a chance. Maybe you'll know this phrase, bless their heart. You just laid out all of their business, but you feel like somehow you can cover it up if you just add that bless your heart at the end. <laughs> when we say things that are short and sound good, an eye for an eye, Someone has just shared with you they are heartbroken. And rather than step into that scary place of not being selfish and feeling it, we say something like, sticks and stones can break your bones, but words will never hurt you. They're crying. That's not the time to use that phrase. Amen? <laughs> Modern-day prophet Rachel Held Evans, who was recently memorialized, offers in this way, and then I will sit down, I promise. If you are looking for verses in order to support slavery, you will find them. If you are looking for verses in order to abolish slavery, you will find them. If you're looking for verse, voice, verses in scripture in order to oppress women, you will find them. If you're looking for verses in order to liberate and honor women, you will find them. If you're looking for reasons to wage war, you will find them. And if you're looking for reasons to promote peace, you will find them. And if you're looking for outdated, irrelevant, ancient texts, you will find them. And if you're looking for truth, Believe me, you will find it. This is why there are times in which the most instructive question to bring to a scripture text is not what does it say, but it is what am I looking for? I suspect that Jesus knew this when he said, Ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door shall be opened. If you want violence in this world, you will always find a weapon. And if you want to heal, you will always find a bomb. End quote. 
Knox. I'm not sure about you, but I know that I'm searching for the kind of wisdom, the kind of wisdom that were offered by these young people that is a bomb and not a weapon. Last year, I had the opportunity here to be with um, at Montreat, and we never thought we would go because our actual first inclination to go to introduction to Montreat was an energizer. And it was at my seminary school. They had this um, wonderful uh, gathering of um, around Christmas time. And my classmates, who never danced, I mean, you know, like the really frozen, frozen, frozen ones, <laughs> all of a sudden get up. And I'm like, wait a minute, what's happening? Because these are the folks that don't move. And that same song, Do You Want a Revolution? Woo, woo! Do You Want a Revolution? Woo, woo! They get up and they start doing choreographed dance moves. I looked at my husband, my husband looked at me, we said, do we need to run? Because this is some cult stuff happening. So it's ironic that last year, while these young people were learning and growing, it was the same place my husband sensed his call to ministry. In those same mountains where we thought that we would never have a place. Because honestly, the people that went there that we knew didn't look anything like us. We all have the ability to help cultivate community where everyone feels welcome. That no one has that feeling of this is not my place. These young people are going to guide you and lead you in where to get there. This is where your wisdom can and will come from. And I, for one, am ready for that revolution. If you're ready for the revolution, let me hear you say, whoop, whoop. Amen.